Yo, it's your girl Anaya, and we are back at it again with another episode. Super duper excited to have my guest on today, Jalen Boyd. Mm-hmm. 3A state champ at St. Joe's um, under the mentorship of Pingator. Who, what was it, a year today, which he passed away? Yeah, it'd be a year today. Rest in peace. Um, a media major and a student athlete, a recent transfer at D3 North Park University, previous player at Loris College. Mm-hmm. We're going to get into that a yeah. little later. For sure, for sure. <laughs> um, so our female highlight today is Pat Summit. Pat Summit is a legendary women's basketball coach. She served as the head coach of women's basketball at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. Her 38th season, she was recognized as the winningest basketball coach in NCAA history for both men's and women's Division I team, and she's known to coach many greats, such as Candace Parker. She had eight national championships, a 100% graduation rate, and 1,098 total wins. She recently passed due to her battle with early-onset dementia, and may she rest in peace. Today, we are going to talk about... so. We highlighted Pat Summit because today we're going to talk about coaches. That's our topic today. So before we get into everything, I put Jalen on to reading because Jalen didn't read um, before we met. But I put Jalen on, and Jalen put me on to Andre Iguodala's book called The Sixth Man. So we both read that together, and something that stuck out to me, um, I think the most, was when Iguodala talked about his honest take on coaches. So how he felt about coaches, his experiences with coaches within high school, when he got to college, and most importantly, when he got to the league. And so he talks about many coaches, many coaches that are bad, um, but one good one that he pointed out, which was Mark Jackson. And so a quote that he had was, there was a psychological benefit to a coach who saw you as an adult professional and who prioritized helping you along with your career above all else. It was respect. Respect as a human, respect as an adult, respect as a professional. Mark Jackson had that, and it made you not only play better, but made you feel better. And so with that being said, we're going to talk today about the importance of coaches' influence on players, um, how they affect players. So let's go into um, what do you think about the book? Let's talk about Andre Iguodala's book. What did you think? How did you feel? How did you like it? Oh, um, for the book, for me, I think it was kind of an eye-opener because, honestly, like, knowing Andre Iguodala as a player, I pretty much knew his career. But, like, after reading the book, you kind of know him personally. Mm-hmm. I, just like, I just like how he just touched on, not just on the court, but it's like how he grew up and how it was racial segregation within his community in which he lived in. So I just like how he touched on all facets of the book. Um, he was honest about everything that he spoke about. And then he gave his, and he gave his opinion on what he felt was right and what was wrong. And I, I can always respect Iguodala for writing that book. One of my favorites so far. Yeah, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I think he was very, um, like you said, really honest about his experiences. Like literally from being a kid, from being in high school, from being in the league. I think he was super honest, and especially about the business. So I think he kind of exposes them a little bit in a way where he talks about how coaches communicate with people being traded and stuff like that. And so, like I said, since we're talking about coaches, and I loved his perspective on coaches, Lauren, I mean, what the, What am I saying? Well, I got to edit this. Jalen um, recently transferred to North Park University from Loris College. And so, first of all, why did you choose Loris? And kind of like what about the coaching staffs basically convinced you to go there? What were their other options? Who else was recruiting you? Let's talk about your recruiting process. So for me, uh, the recruiting process in high school, it was it's pretty weird, I would say. So my first offer was from a Division II school in Michigan, Ferris State University. And I, and I received that offer, I think, the summer going into my junior year. So I was, I was young. I was like 16 years old when I first received my offer. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of an eye-opener um, just, just to get interest from a coach. So I felt – and I was sitting myself. I thought I was up top. I was, <laughs> I was on top of the world. So, but I was on my, but my, but that first offer, I think I'll always remember that one. But to uh, to expand on that, uh, other like other schools, it was some more Division two schools that showed interest. Uh, 
from my junior year to my senior year. Then it kind of died down. And so then, and then it was like the next level. So you dropped down. So I went to division. So it was like D3, NAIA. Um, some junior colleges reached out, but I didn't, personally, I didn't want to do this, the junior college role. It's, it's, it's great and grind. It's, it's really, it's about, it's about winning, but it's really about getting your own and really getting up out of that. And I just didn't really want to go through that whole process. So, because um, it just felt like high school again. You know what I mean? So you ended up choosing Lores. So why did you choose Lores, first of all? Well, Laura's was, I think, they were very, like, persistent in trying to get us, me and my brother, to, so during my senior year, they would reach out, you know, in between, like, middle of the season, they'd reach out, uh, say they saw me at AAU tournament, um, played well, and that we fit in so well with the program. To be completely honest, I didn't, I really wasn't interested until, like, after the season. Um, I think after visiting, uh, I kind of, I like the close knit of how the community was there, and you like Lores, little Lores. I like it because I'm coming from St. Joe's. We had about three to four hundred students, so mm-hmm. I was used to like I was used to the small community. So trans transitioning into college, it was it was pretty easy coming into Lores. But the coaches they were very persistent. They sent letters all the time. Um, the head coach actually came to the house and spoke with us, which was mm. surprising. Because uh, <laughs> I, I, I never thought that would happen. But so yeah, he, he came to the house and kind of just laid out what he thought. So uh, you talked about Martin coming to your house. Is that really something that stood out to you? Is that something that really was like, okay, like I, I respect him or, you know, I want to play for him? No, it definitely stood out because, first off, he was a younger coach. So I felt being able to relate more with a younger uh, coach because I think throughout my whole playing career was a lot of I had a lot of older coaches okay so and being young and persistent I think helped um being him being young and persistent helped and then just coming to the house like showing like man really literally drove three hours just to have a probably conversation. An, hour, it's an hour conversation right about just basketball and I just took that I thought that was just very genuine so from there on I was just like I think the next when he visited he visited on the Friday, I think that Monday I might have committed. Okay. So I was during this time, I was around Jalen. So I remember when this happened. And so every time we talk about Martin coming to your house or me even thinking about that memory, it always brings me back to a quote that Eagle Dollar used in his book. And he said, That was when I started to see that because a coach is nice to you, does not mean that you can trust them to have your best interests at heart. At the end of the day, they're only looking out for themselves. I never confronted him about that, but it taught me a new level of the game. So every time, every time I think about Martin coming to see you and that having such an effect on you and him putting a smile on your face and talking to your mama, being in the living room, et cetera, you know, it makes me just think about just because they're nice to you, you can't really trust them. And so I, my listeners are probably like, what, like what happened? What's going on? And so let's talk about when you got to Loris, what happened? How was the coaching staff? How was your transition? And then let's talk about the downhill of that relationship, basically. So we can start from the beginning. So my freshman year, um, the thing about Division Three is it's, it was pretty weird. I didn't even know it until I really got down there. So it's you have two teams. You have okay. the university and the varsity squad. So I'm, thinking, I'm like, this is kind of like high school again. So I was kind of like thrown off a little bit because I've never heard of two teams in college. So I'm just used to one. So, but we were on the varsity squad, which is the best team. And then they had a lot of, they had two All-Americans um, going into their senior year, which I was at the same position as. So, yeah, but coming in as a freshman, I was real confident in playing. I was confident in my ability to play. Um, I didn't really back down from anybody. I think just, I think that's just kind of how I was just taught to play the game. No matter who you're playing against, you just go hard, go 100%. Period. So, uh, weightlifting, I'm doing great. Open gyms, I'm playing well. Um, I think my transition basketball-wise pretty was was fairly simple. I think I was just as good or even better than half the players I was already there for about two or three years. So I think okay. that was just <laughs> not not to be cocky, you know. I'm just saying, but I think it was pretty. I think that transition was easier. Um, academically, I could have done a lot better. Um, mm. I think coming in, I was just. <laughs> I think my coming in, I was just so focused on playing. Like, 
I just, school was a priority first, obviously, but I, I just did enough just to get by. And then I didn't have the, I just, like, like I said, I did enough just to get by. And then it was just, I just didn't get my full effort. Right. So, so from an academic standpoint, it was, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't the best I could do. And I knew that. Mm-hmm. And so Jalen gets down there. Jalen's loving it. Jalen's excited. Jalen's ready to hoop. You got preseason, so you you were working out every day. How many times did y'all work out? So we worked out pretty much every day. It was, but it was a schedule. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we lift. Then Tuesday, Thursday, um, open gyms. Okay. Um, so working out every day, like I said, playing well. So practice come around. This is probably October, like early October, like the first practices began. So. Practices is a little tough, you know. It's you still transitioning. So now it's, it's now it was more mental than physical at this point. To a point where now I didn't even like coming from a school where I wouldn't say it was structured, but from from, from going from Joe's to Laura's, they I think they really relied on plays a lot and calling plays and remembering plays. They took it as a priority. Who um, called them plays, Joe's or Laura's? Lowers, they they relied heavily on like having a bunch of plays and you have okay. to remember them. So I think one of the things that kind of I don't want to use that. And I got new to plays, but it wasn't like a senior who was ran his office for three four years. So obviously I'm gonna be behind the bar. Yeah. So that was a uh, that was something that felt that held me back. But I didn't really think that should have hindered my playing time at all because being young and new of course it's gonna take the time to get used to but i felt my talent no matter the level i was at in the place i should you know you still get out there so but mm-hmm. as practices got going on on I, um i ended up starting remembering plays getting more comfortable with the team and stuff like that so our first um exhibition game we played division two team from south dakota i forget the name so i'm amped we drive, I think it was like six hours. <laughs> so I'm amped. I'm amped. I'm amped the entire way. I'm taking off I'm gonna get on the floor. All this this crazy stuff, right? So we get there. So I'm tip off, I'm I'm sharing I'm hype and stuff, everything. So as like the game goes on, you look at the clock. As the game goes on, you look at the clock, it's like, okay. five minutes has gone past. All right, cool. Ten minutes gone past. Okay. 15, like, okay, dang, it's, it's the half almost over with. I still ain't got in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Half almost over, I'm like, still haven't gotten in. I'm like, okay. All right, bam. Our whole first half go by, didn't play. I'm right. Hurt. Now, wait, let me stop you right there. So, before we get deeper into this, right, mm-hmm. Jalen has a twin named Jordan. Right. And Jordan and Jalen both decided to go to Loris and play basketball there. So, while you're on the bench and you watching the clock, did Jordan get in and play? My brother... Yeah, he's one of the first off the bench. Like, honestly, okay. I was excited to see him get out there and play. Obviously, I'm not going to hit on my brother for, you know what I'm saying, him earning his minutes. Mm-hmm. I can't be mad about that. So, like I said, at this point, I'm hurt still. Like, internally, I'm like, I'm like, man, I'm not going to play. Like, it really seeps into my head that I'm not going to play. So, second half go by, same thing. We end up winning, but I didn't play, and I just felt, I was like heated because it's like mm-hmm. I'm so used to coming from my senior year where I played literally every minute to not even playing it hurt and it was just like it was really eye-opening it's like man like I don't want to that early at that point early I wasn't thinking about like dang should I, should I should I should I have come here it wasn't that early it didn't get to that point yet but it was like man I, I guess I gotta work on some more stuff you know what I mean so and this was preseason, so this is like an exhibition game. It really didn't count. So I didn't. So I was mad for the moment, let it go, brushed it off. But then once our official game really came, was kind of when I saw this this pattern starting to happen. So I think we played Greenville. It's a school from like I think near St. Louis somewhere. So same situation happened. I don't play. Heated once again, just like just heated once again because it's just like there's no way. I feel like I shouldn't be on the like should be on the bench. You know I mean? Yeah. No matter, no matter the age, right? Yeah, Jalen used to text me after these games. He did. Okay. Man. Used to call me at like 12 in the morning, like, I didn't play. 
I'm so mad. I know I'm better than everybody on the court. Da, 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 da. I was in my feelings. Blue you. Man, I was, it was just something I'm just not accustomed to because I get, like I said, just coming from a program where, okay, just growing up in general, I was always, I was taller than a lot of people. So back in elementary, I'm the, I was like elementary school, I'm like 5'10". I'm almost mm-hmm. feet, like sixth grade. So of course, I was going to be the best. Like growing up, I've always been the one of the number two players. So just coming in where it's like, you know, you're like four, you're like 13 on the roster. It was just like a eye opener. And from a talent standpoint, there was no way I should have been on that bench at all. Right. And so we got the first preseason game. Okay, you didn't play. You upset. Brush it off. First regular season game, you didn't play. Now, how many games did you go? Do you remember that you didn't touch the court at all? It took about seven to eight games until I really played. Six, seven, That's eight tough. Until I really played. Yeah. And how much time did you have when you got into the the game after the seven to eight games? Now, the first game I played, I played about thirteen to fourteen. Like I got a good, like because I played well in my in my run, so I played a good 13, 14 minutes. So I was excited with that. Okay. So once I started playing, I was playing consistently. I was playing every game. So it was minutes were going from 13, 12, 11. You know, I was playing like decent, solid minutes as a freshman. Um, I think what kind of what kind of messed me up was it was a practice coming back from Christmas break. So we only, being an athlete, you don't, you don't really have a break. You get about two or three days to come home and you go right back to practice. So the first practice we get back, I sprained my ankle. I'm blue. Sprained my ankle. I'm out for about, I'm out. I should have been out longer than I actually was, but being me, I'm trying to get back on the floor, so I play through anything. I got a brace on, ankle taped up. I'm down to basically lifting around the floor, but I'm trying to play. And it was just like, so once my ankle fully healed, then it was just like, um, no, your minutes are gone. You're not, you're not playing anymore. Like that's how it went the whole season. We played. I think we made, we made the uh, first time uh, in Lowers history. The, the, um, we made it to the Sweet Sixteen. So basically, you could say we're the best team at Lowers. Mm-hmm. From that point on, from Christmas to then on, I probably played a collective amount of ten minutes. And, and from Christmas break to the rest of the season, I, I didn't right. touch the floor at all. Now, mind you, y'all, I watch. Jalen's games, I'm online watching them, et cetera. Been to a few. The team doesn't have a lot of the best talent, first of all. It's a lot of um how do we how do we express the way that Martin coaches? It's kind of like even if his favorite players personally aren't performing as well as they are, they're still gonna stay in despite the fact that he has better people on the bench. Oh, I would agree with that. I felt he tried to use me being a freshman as a kind of a borderline excuse to not play me. But I said it was a lot deeper than that because I think my play style is I'm a scorer. I mean, I'm all around, but I think I, I score the ball very well at all three levels, mid-range, get into the basket. So when I get in the game, I look to score. I don't think I don't think he's had a type of player that's similar to me coming in as a freshman. So I think he felt – I should be deferring to these older guys when, in fact, I wasn't doing that. So when I'm coming, I'm looking to score. I probably make it. I do something well, but then I get taken right out. So then that's where the mental part start happening. And then I start losing my confidence. I'm coming in. I'm not. I'm starting to defer to these guys. When at first I was, I was my confidence at a high. Then it started slowly draining. So you know that. I think that that took that. When you lose your confidence as a as a hooper, that's just like that's as bad as tearing ACL. Honestly, this is like you just you just totally out of it. You don't play the same. You think it too much instead of instead of letting your instincts take over. Mm-hmm. You think it too much. You make turnovers you usually don't do. It's just a your game just it just goes down another level. Right, and so you got to this point where so you're playing. So Jordan, yeah, Jordan is getting lots of playing time. Like, well, didn't Jordan start? What did he start? At this point, he was starting from. Yeah. So, Jordan's starting. 
Jalen's not getting any playing time, hasn't touched the floor at all. So Jalen got to this point where, um, first of all, fam was getting mad, mama was getting mad, daddy was getting mad, coming down there. Everybody's everybody, everybody watching the game was like, man, you're not playing at all. Like, yeah, it was it was bad. It was rough. And so how did that go into talk more about the effect that it had on you mentally? Um, just because me being a player before having this experience, not really at school personally, but during like AAU, stuff like that. And so just having that effect when like, you know, you feel like you're better than who's playing. You feel like you should be playing. And then you do start losing confidence, like you said, or overthinking everything, passing rather than doing what you're, you're regularly doing, which is scoring. And so you being at school, you've been in a small college. Not a lot of African-American people around you, et cetera. You know, your teammates aren't your best of friends, stuff like that. What – how did you cope? And kind of what effect did that have on you mentally? So to go back, let's even go back to high school. It was, it was like a similar situation. So sophomore year – usually sophomore, you play sophomore, but I was fortunate enough to play varsity my uh, sophomore year. So, again, coming in freshman year, I'm thinking I'm going to play. Then yeah, sophomore year, I slowly started losing my confidence. So that kind of so from for that to happen, my sophomore year of high school, that was that was I think that was probably one of my lowest at hooping. Um, I just felt like I didn't even feel like me, and so that's that's why I feel like AAU helps with no matter the competition, it helps regain your confidence. It helps you expand more like because in high school it's more of a systematic you have a structure you do this you do that AAU is pretty much you play and you play as hard as you can so AAU was really where I gained my confidence back so for me to have a great last two years but to go back from college to in order to you you know you don't have for some people this is their last option this is the last this is the last ride so there's no AAU at, at this point. So to gain my confidence back, or just to stay sane, like you spoke about, um, just playing, just honestly, just putting in work on my, by myself, just kind of going to the gym when it was just me, lifting when it was just me, just to regain focus and just to figure out who I am again as a player. Um, a lot of the things that I would, I would revert back to watching high school games. Right? I would revert back to watching high school games where I had very good games. I think that helped. And then, like you said, being at a, a very predominantly white school, I felt, I think in order to like, to stay sane, I, it was, we had black players on the team. So just hang with them and just being around people I'm just familiar with. I think that really helped. And they, you know, they encouraged me a lot because a lot of them knew I could play and they knew I should be playing, but they always encouraged me a lot to keep playing and just play hard and just keep working on your game. Right. And so there was a point where okay we get in the sophomore year right this is okay so my friend after the freshman year is over we we make it to switch team everything is all good mm-hmm. i actually i actually think about I'm, I'm thinking about transferring after my freshman year right right so i talked to him i'm like yeah coach i'm thinking about i'm i feel like i might transfer um you know the whole coaches spiel they want you to stay we want you here yada 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 <laughs> all that stuff right so I didn't want to give up so easy. I felt I still had something to prove. So over the summer, I, I decided to stay, right? Right. Over the summer, I felt, I was, I just felt so confident again, just coming off of knowing that I have a, I have a high chance of playing because we graduated six or seven seniors. So there's all that room needs to be filled. So I'm, I'm, I'm amped. I'm working hard over the summer. I'm getting these workouts in just so I could prepare myself to play a lot of these minutes. So, yeah, this is so coming into sophomore year, yeah. And so we get to sophomore year. You really ain't playing. Man, sophomore year was just equally bad as freshman year, to be honest. Um, I think it was worse. You think so? I uh, think sophomore year was worse. I don't know. I might say it was worse. I think really just sophomore year, it was just uh, – at this point, I think I, th- I feel like the coaching staff was just honestly just didn't like my game. My whole philosophy when it comes to coaches is, as a coach, you recruit players that's similar to your how you coach and your playing style, right? Mm-hmm. And you might have certain players that don't 
fit to, per se, but they it is raw talent. So I would say I was I'm pretty raw talent. Like I, I would say my 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 two years I I'm pretty raw talent, right? So right. So wait, stop right there. Let me ask you this, right? So you said that coaches typically recruit people who they feel like represents the playing style that they like, type of people they want to coach, etc. Mm-hmm. They recruited you though, or do you feel like it was more so kind of if you and Jordan go together everywhere. So it was kind of like a deal, like wherever Jordan's going, Jalen's going, wherever Jalen's going, Jordan is going. So because Jordan got a lot of playing time, do you think that they really wanted Jordan? But in order to, they thought to get Jordan, they would kind of have to recruit both of you all. Looking back on it, I think that definitely was the case because (laughs) <laughs> Looking back, I just I get frustrated even thinking about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, like there's no way I shouldn't have been on any per anybody's bench at all. Just looking back on it, so I feel like they definitely wanted Jordan more than they wanted me to an extent because obviously we play different positions. We we both bring something totally different to the table. Um, and I started realizing that I think my sophomore year because. We would have, like I would have like I'm not a I'm not really a big person when it comes to really sitting down with coaches to an extent because like I know what I have to do in order to get on the floor. So I'm not really vocal a lot. So if you tell me what I have to do, that's it. I'm not gonna go have three or four meetings after you already told me what I need to do in the first one. So after the first one, I'm pretty much locked in and focused on what you told me to do. And so then I started realizing they want to join kind of more than me to the point where it's like, we're not even in practices. We're not even on the same team. Like at all, you know? So I'm, I'm, I'm telling them like coach, you know, me, like we play better when we're both on the floor. You know what I mean? So obviously they want to join more than they wanted me. So I can't be mad at them. I mean. mm-hmm. And do, if you can just look back on that, what would you have rather him done? Like, would you have been okay? We're going to a different school than Jordan. Would you have rather them not even recruited you, kind of just focused on Jordan, and you went short wherever school you wanted to go to? I would respect that more if he would have just honestly told me up front. Yeah, like if he, if he would have sat down and said, yeah, we want you both, but we really want Jordan more because he can help in a different way that I can help, I would have been totally fine with that. But the way he made it seem like was that he was eager to have both of us on the team. We was going – make immediate impacts when all the fact Jordan only make the impact. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. So I get that. And so let's talk about one day Jalen texts me and you had a meeting with him or Jordan had a meeting with him first, whoever had a meeting first. Mm-hmm. And so, um, like you talked about, you're not very vocal. So for you to get to that point, you were fed up and you really wanted to understand like, yo, I'm in practicing, I'm busting my butt. I'm, I feel like I'm better than everybody that you're putting out in front of me. Why am I not playing? So let's talk about how that conversation went and kind of like what realizations came to you about Martin or who he was or what his real intentions were throughout that conversation. I think after that conversation, I really realized that 40% of what coaches say is true and 6% is just to keep you there. So he was, you know, I feel like as a coach, your job is to put the best talent on the floor and win. Obviously, we'll win, but I feel like he wanted to win with the players he wanted to play. So his whole, I feel like his whole thing wasn't about talent. It was just pretty much he had his favorite. Like any, like any other coach, you had your favorite, but that shouldn't interrupt the, of everybody's opportunity. No matter if you like this person or not more than you like the other person, if he can play, he can flat out play. That's it. The best players play. That's the name of the game, in my opinion. And I'll always be there, in my opinion. The best players always will play. So that meeting, I feel like he was just feeding me a lot of BS. Just, and then he tried to bring up analytical reasons and all of the stuff that didn't mean anything. Because at the end of the day, you can say numbers don't lie, but numbers lie to an extent. Numbers don't tell the whole truth. So he tried to bring up numbers as an indication of why I'm not playing and all other stuff that had nothing to do with basketball, I felt. 
So once I heard that, now after hearing that, I was just like, yeah, I'm pretty much fed up. I'm going to leave. Um, but the thing was, we didn't even end up leaving after the season. We stopped, me and my brother, we stopped playing halfway through the season. So that was that was a little bit. I didn't, I didn't expect that to happen, but it happened. So. Right. So I remember that. And I, I think I was on your case about this because I'm like, Jalen, like, don't. My whole thing for you, I told Jalen, I'm like, don't stop in the middle of the season. Like, figure out where you're going to transfer, whatever. You already have that in the back of your mind where you want to go. But my whole thing was don't give up on your team because what was my whole – I think my whole main reasoning was if you're going to transfer to somewhere else, right, the coaches are going to ask you, why weren't you playing? On your record or whatever or the way it looks, you and Jordan quit in the middle of the season. So my whole thing was like, Jalen, like, that's going to look bad. Coaches are going to be like, why did you quit? You know what I'm saying? It's going to kind of look a little bad. That was my perspective. And so you and Jordan stopped. So what, what, how did it go? You stopped playing because you were just fed up. Well, um, so for George's case, it was um, – it was some other reasons. So basically, he was suspended indefinitely mm-hmm. by a coach, which I felt was over a petty reason. So for me personally, I'm like, if he's not going to play, I'm not playing. Because first of all, I'm not even playing anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're going to sit one of your best players down over for an indefinite suspension, then you could care less about me. So I decided, hey, I'm going to just step away from the team. Right. So did you guys ever – I remember – did you tell him? I don't even think you told him, did you? I didn't even tell him. I remember uh, Jordan called me and was like, yeah, he just suspended me indefinitely. And 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 for, for me, indefinitely having no time table means he basically kicked him off the team. Right. So that's how, how I took it at. So I'm like, all right. Uh, I remember this <laughs> like it was yesterday. He told me I'm walking I'm walking to the locker room. So they're like, yeah, he just suspended me indefinitely. I'm like, all right, let's go. I, just, I grabbed my stuff and left. And then didn't show up to practice another day. So. Mm-hmm. And and so you didn't show up. It was basically made in your mind, like, look, I'm not coming back. You and Jordan, I like y'all, like we're not playing. And if y'all know Jalen and Jordan, y'all know they do everything together. So if one person ain't gonna play, one the other person gonna have somebody back or whatever. And so talk about um, we talked about this when you first got down there. And so Loris is a predominantly white institution. Super white, seriously, like really like, any black, about, only black boys, what, on the team? There's only black players. There's only, honestly, we're talking 95, we're talking 90% white, 5% black, and 5% Hispanic Latino, to be completely honest. So only African-Americans that were on campus were pretty much athletes. Right. And so we had... You know, you were having your problems freshman year, sophomore year, and we were telling you, like, yo, you need to get up out of there. Everybody had their complaints about the coach with their family and everybody that was close to you. Mm-hmm. And so now that you look back, Jalen had other black teammates who weren't getting any time either, which kind of spoke a lot to the coaching staff or whatever because, okay, use Dre, for example, which is Jalen's teammate, who had been there longer than Jalen. What was it, his senior year? This is last year, yeah. And he decided to quit and leave just like Jalen and Jordan did because he never, ever got playing time. Well, actually, so this is what happened with, uh, with that. So it was a certain amount of players you could take to the tournament because that year we had made the tournament freshman year. So obviously he had a list of names. He didn't make the list. He was – at that point, he was just completely done. So he grabbed all the things out of his locker and just basically was done with the team. Right, and I, and I couldn't even be mad at Drake for that because it was like him coming all the way from him being from ba- all the way from Baltimore and to come to Iowa to just basically waste two years of his life by not playing. Obviously, he still earned his degree, which is the most important factor. But if you come out of the play, um, you expect to play. You don't expect to sit for two years. You know what I mean? Yeah, and so I just think that's a reflection of just the treatment of black players there in general because it's not just you and Jordan. You get what I'm saying? Like, it's other people who have had their 
run-ins or problems with Martin, and typically none of them are white. Okay, I w- no, I wouldn't say that because it, it, it was. That's, okay, I wouldn't say that completely because it's obvious mm-hmm. it's, it's been white players to leave Martin as well. So it's I don't I I, I, don't, I wouldn't say color was a big factor because both white and black players left that program like it wasn't nothing. So. Yeah. And so, Laura's basically the basketball program doesn't have a really good reputation when it comes to keeping players. I don't keeping players. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. When when you have <laughs> four players leaving one year, that's I think that kind of just speaks to itself. That's just that's pretty bad. Okay, and so you left sophomore year, and you was like, I gotta find a school. Where am I gonna go? Let me figure it out. And so you chose North Park University, which is closer to home than Loris is. So let's talk about why did you choose North Park? What, how did that process go? Did the coach reach out to you? How was that like? So the process went with uh, getting North Park. So my old high school coach coached at, coaches at uh, North Park now. He's an assistant. So once he heard Ruse transfer, he immediately reached out and was like, yo, I heard you transfer and we would love you to have you uh, come down to North Park. So at first, um, you know, obviously I know I'm, I have a good relationship with him. So I'm, I kind of, I trust what he says. So when he, when he, when he, when he, he was the first to reach. So once he reached out, I'm like, he's pretty serious. And, and what, from what I am, from what I experienced with him coaching at St. Joe's is that he's going to tell it to you straight up. He's not really from the beat around the bush. He's going to give it to you how it is. And so once he told me, hey, you have the possibility to play a lot of minutes here, I, I, I took that for, I took it as gold. So obviously it was other schools that reached out. It was just something about, it was just something about being home, which made me feel a lot more comfortable. So I think being home and knowing the coach prior to him being at North Park was the, was the biggest factor. Right. That, so that's great that you chose, you found a place where you feel comfortable. And so my question to you is really how, how do you approach or how did you approach or did your thinking, was it even different in this recruitment process again? Because now you're going through two recruitment process in less than, what, two years, in a span of two years. So did you, even though you knew him and even though he called you first because Martin drove three hours and you felt, you know, really comfortable. So did were you more cautious? Did it affect anything? Or were you really confident in the relationship that you all built at Joe's four years ago? I think the experience at Lord really helped me identify BS when I hear BS. So So what's BS? How do you identify BS? Let's let's for all the players who may encounter a situation like this, what advice would you give? How do they know if somebody's being honest or what are the distinctions, et cetera? I think Ashley speak loud in the words. So when a coach says, oh, yeah, we would love to come, have you come here, I think his actions more than his words will really show, right? Um, when it comes to – you're talking speaking to younger players. When it comes to the recruiting process, they really have to – it can get annoying to an extent because you just you hear from multiple coaches or it gets to a point where you're not hearing from any coaches at all. I just feel like you really need to focus on a place where you feel the most comfortable at. No matter winning, no matter having a winning or losing team, I don't, I don't think that really plays a part in, let me start over. So when it comes to recruiting the recruiting process, I just feel you have to find a place where you're most comfortable at. Um, whether it's a winning or losing team, that doesn't matter, I think, because at the end of the day, Basketball will always be a round ball. You put, you know, no matter the competition you're playing or who you're playing with or against, it's still basketball at the end of the day. So the most important part you want to find is comfortability. And you want to have, you want to be able to trust the coach, man. I think that's just, that's one of the, that's also another big thing. You want to be able to trust the coach. You want to have the, you want to be, you want a coach to be as honest as possible with you, as possible with you, and for him to be a man of his word. That's my biggest advice. So just being comfortable and trusting them. Of course. And so with this trust you have, do you think your your experience at North Park is going to be different? And if it's not, 
how will you better prepare yourself mentally? Not to be negative, but if it was, how do you prepare yourself mentally and like what steps would you take further? What would you change with how you approach the situation with Martin, et cetera? I think I would have kind of, I don't know, look, but looking back on that, I definitely would have committed to Ferris State if I knew all of this was going to happen. Um, fair, it was so ironic because Ferris State ended up winning the, the, the Division Two National Championship. I remember watching it. Hurt. I'm like, this is the same man that called my phone, had me on campus saying how much he wanted me to, and they ended up winning the Division Two National Championship. Why didn't you go? Why didn't you go? I just felt... I was young and naive, so I felt if I could get a, a scholarship this off of this early, that more was gonna keep piling in, and obviously that was the opposite of what happened. So I think I mean I'm not I'm not mad. I think at first I look back on it. I think when I was in high school, I'm, I was kind of salty about it, but now looking back on it, I think things happen in life. So I think in order to to move on with your life, you got to be proud of what you did and how. And, and, and the route you chose. So, I mean, I can't be mad I chose Lois and ended up leaving because I guess God planned that for me. I think that was his plan for me at the, at the moment. So, uh, you got to take the good with the bad when it comes to situations like these, especially leaving a school you're comfortable with, then going to another school you have no idea who you're going to be around. So, like I said, it's all about realizing who you are and what you stand for at the end of the day. Mm. And what were your greatest takeaways from your whole two-year experience at Lourdes? Um, I think the biggest takeaway is realizing that coaching is a bit like basketball is also a business, especially at the college level, no matter the, the level, division one, two, or three. It's all a business, and you just got to take it as that, like, I think you should. I think coming in, you should just have a clear mind of of just never knowing what could happen. Because anything can happen. Coach may leave. Um, you may not play. You may start. Like I say, I saw. I think you just coming in, level-headed, just and expecting and be ready for anything to happen is what I take away from things. So like I may not say this will happen. I may come to No Park and might not play. You know what I'm saying? But that's still a possibility. So this. So just keeping everything in mind and not forgetting what happened at Laura's is, I think, will help me at No Park for sure. And I mean, I think you're gonna play, so I ain't tripping oh, about that. Yeah. But um, what are um, you touched on AAU earlier? Mm-hmm. So you talked about how that was a place for you to, you know, you feel like that's where you're gonna get playing time, whatever. I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't think that's true because I think you have that experience with Mean Street, et cetera, where you've experienced basketball become very political. And so it's not even about how good you are. It's about, I think, in my opinion, I think AAU can have more favoritism than being at school, in my opinion. No, that's for for sure because AAU is all predicated around winning games, right? Yeah. you get a bunch, you get all the best players from the state or even out of state, and you and your objective is to win. It don't matter who you can be the top player on your team in high school, and but you come you come to the program like Urban Fire or something, you may be the, the eighth best player. So it's always it's always gonna be somebody better than you, especially in, in those type of environments at UIBA or Deep Gauntlet, Under Armour Circuit, all that type of stuff. So um, AAU is definitely a it's a it's a it's a business for sure because at the end of the day, all those coaches care about is winning. They don't care about who feeling they hurt, who they play or don't play. They don't. Their objective is to win and and to get noticed as a program. They don't care about none of that stuff, honestly. Yeah, and so because I remember just having experience with AAU, so I played for what was the name of his team? One of my teammates, Taylor convinced all of us um, to play for a previous coach who, you know, she really admired. She was like, he's a great coach. And he was, Coach Grover. And we, I mean, we start playing, like, everything was good. 
And I kind of had one of those, a lot of us had experiences like you did with Loris during AU. So Star did, um, I did. A lot of like best players start leaving, quitting, same thing. And so I remember we got to the Nike tournament at the McCormick Center that they have every summer. And everybody had been playing kind of like up to then, like no problem. Like I had been playing well, whatever, no problem. We all good. So we get to the Nike tournament. He pumping everybody's head up, giving his pep talk, this little nice speech. Um, yeah, you know, let's go out there. Let's go win. Let's do this. You know, game plan. Yeah. So we all confident. So I remember I ain't played the first game. I'm like, what? Like, I start. What's wrong with you? Like, right. hold on. So I'm like, okay. Like, a little different. So I ain't say nothing for real. And as we go on and on, I'm realizing, like, dude is on dirt. Like, what's to him? Like, you know, like, random. Like, out of nowhere, everything's okay. And then you just don't say nothing. I'm supposedly playing well, and then you just don't play people. So, for me, like you said, I don't think a lot of the time AAU coaches care. Um, I think that they do like to win. And I think that's the whole purpose. But I think sometimes people just make it. And AAU people really do make decisions based off of pure favoritism. And from my experience, like, I don't feel like he was always playing the best players, you know, or I feel like he could have rotated people out. My problem also with AAU is AAU is a chance for people to really get noticed. People's parents, like, put a lot of money into that stuff a lot of times people don't even have money to have their sons or daughters play in these tournaments but it's because oh my baby gonna get exposed or I think that you know I'm gonna do whatever I think is best to support these hoop dreams that my kid has and so he was very money hungry in my opinion and so white girls started getting on the team they were playing more and more they were playing (laughs) And it was like all the black kids, all the people who set you up on this team, people who had been there before me, like Taylor had been, had known him since she was younger. Like, you know, yeah. all of these same people are losing respect for you, are quitting just because you're trying to bring in some money from some Naperville kids, Naperville white girls from Joliet. You know what I'm saying? Just for money. Kinda, like you'd rather lose with <laughs> players who are just decent instead of winning. Yeah. And just because what? Because you can say, like, oh, I let your daughter play in a Nike tournament, so I'm giving you your money's worth. Uh, I, see, I understand the whole point of paying. If, if so, so I was a part of a team where with Main Street, I didn't pay anything, right? Right. So it, wasn't, so it wasn't guaranteed you was going to play. Mm-hmm. So, but then when money comes involved, where everybody's paying, is paying the, the amount of money, the same amount of money, then it's like, you're basically obligated to play everybody. Yeah. It was so, definitely about money for him because yeah. I know not everybody paid the same amount. And I know I didn't pay as much as everybody else because we were like, his. he coached my school team. You know what I'm saying? So, right, so you if you said it was okay, then we have to pay as much. That's cool with me. Like you talking about developing your game for the year, all of these things. And dude, like, like I think that was my first experience with really seeing like, these coaches, I don't even know. Like, they just be on some other stuff, you know, like, especially when it comes to bias and when it comes to money. I think, what do you, what effect do you think? I know a lot of people have mixed opinions about this, but what effect do you think AAU has had on the game of basketball in general? So it's, it's a positive and a negative. I think the, uh, I'm going to start with the negative. I think, the, I think AAU has made a lot of players selfish like it's all about getting my own like getting mine and not really focusing on the team aspect um because you have that's why you see so many players bouncing around from AU team to AU team it's like all they care about is winning they don't not even necessarily winning all they care about is yeah I dropped 30 but we lost but we lost by 25 but I had a good game you know it's that it's that, it's yeah. that mindset now you know uh, it's all offensive, offensive based team not playing defense how they used to play. Um, it's, I think to an extent, it kind of hurt the game. But the positive of it is that you're getting this, you're getting this, this exposure, and you're getting to see exciting young talent 
because I because basketball from each generation I would say is always going to evolve. So you had the '60s, '70s, '80s, like each each generation always is going to get better. So honestly, this is in this day and age, like AAU kids are the most skilled. Their skill, they like they have they have high school skills at the grade. So like the game has advanced a lot too, and that's I think that comes from AAU, which I would I would definitely. I can definitely always uh, love AAU for that because I feel like that depending on what high school you go to, AAU elevates your game, not necessarily high school. Because you could be, well, for me personally, I was in a good conference, so we played good competition. So I would say it was about 50-50. AAU giving it slightly AAU having a better advantage because we was playing top players all from all around. But like say you go to, a, I don't even want to trash no high school, but you, you go to a bad high school, where y'all losing every game, but you're the best player, it's different. You know what I'm saying? You you won't be seen as much because you're losing. But then you go to an AAU program and you're playing well. So now you're recognizing the AAU world and it's outside of high school. It's, it's, it's two different worlds when it comes to AAU and high school. It's, it's two completely different worlds. I agree. Um, I think there are um... – in my opinion, I think there are sometimes more negatives than there are positives. Um, just for me, because I think personally, from my experience, I think the positive is you do elevate your game. I do, I do think so. Um, if you come from a like a bad school, you know, I think your game elevates more than somebody who comes from like good coaching. But I think no matter what, where you come from, I think your game is going to elevate. Period. Like I think it's going to be okay. Period. Um, I do think that you kind of meet like different players. You learn how to defend people differently, or you learn you learn all type of different things. You get encountered with different people. Um, you develop relationships with a lot of people. I think it's a lot that goes into it, but I think it has become so political, like very very political. And I think that a lot of people who play AAU aren't even really like a lot of their signing isn't even coming from that. Like if we're being real. A lot of the times now, the top players are just been getting noticed just from their high school, their respective high school, them playing at a great high school. And it's not really a lot of – as much as it used to be, there's not as much of an emphasis on AAU as it used to be. But I do think people should – I think everybody should experience If you want to hoop, I think you should play. I think you should try it. Um, I think it's great. But I do think there are a lot of negatives. Like, I think it's so it's so political. And I think, like, I know – I just think it's sad that a sport that is supposed to kind of be where people help one another and people really build relationships and really supposed to look out for kids as much as money as their parents spend on them, especially kids from, like, you know, not the best communities, et cetera. I think it's tough that it has become so, like – it's political. Like, it's all about money for real. And it's all about who's going to make you look the best as a coach. Who does everybody else like? And I think sometimes um, there's a lot of other talent in other places who couldn't afford to pay for AU. And sometimes they get overlooked a lot because they don't have that platform or that pedestal just like everybody else does. So I think it's pros and cons to it. I'm in the middle because I had a good experience improving as a player. But I think coming to the end, like all of my teammates kind of seeing the true color of a coach and what his real interest was, I think it just kinds of it puts a negative effect on like was that really useful in the long run type thing, you know? Or could I have played for somebody else? Yeah, for sure. And then AAU, man, it's like you said, it got so political. It's just like a lot of players don't even play AAU because they love basketball. They just play it because they, because of what it can do for them. You know what I mean? So it's like. You develop this this love of the game at an early age, right? I started playing the fourth. I don't really, you know, honestly, you don't really take basketball serious when we first started. I think once you realize the potential that you have, which I realized around middle school, that's when I really started loving the game. So now you have, like nowadays, you have top eight graders with. 10k Instagram like followers like it was it was it was never like that back then like I didn't I didn't I didn't make a Twitter till my my sophomore year of high school I didn't make a Twitter till yeah I think it was sophomore year junior year because yeah. I ain't I wasn't even a Twitter girl like I had never been on Twitter I made an Instagram had to ask my mama I asked like 
I think like eighth grade. Yeah, no, nah, everything's about yeah, man, everything's about just getting a mixtape. You know what I mean? It's all about individual accolades, man. I just and I just never could fathom just being so selfish. Like I just like I've got criticized for being too passive. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like I could just never see myself being just that just being that selfish as a player or just always wanting things to be through them. Like I just it's like I, that's the, that's that's my that's what I really don't like about AU because like like I said it's all about showboat being you you being out there it's all about the following it's like everything plays in the part instead of just basketball when it comes to AU so yeah, yeah that's how it is these days man and social media is taking over so you literally that's a bag for me though marketing major period I'm in media so I can't even hate it, <laughs> you know what I mean. And so we're just going to wrap this up. So just just say one more last thing. You know, for players that, for you to have experienced this, coming from coaching under a legendary coach who's coached Isaiah Thomas, Evan Turner, um, Pingator. Yeah. yeah. And so Great. you being under that mentorship, feeling confident and having his approval and his blessing that he feels like you would do well in college, et cetera. And there are people who come from these situations and they get to those situations, maybe not even D3, but D2, D1, where they lose that confidence or they're experiencing coaching that they don't agree with, just like you. What advice would you give to that player? And I know that situation was tough on you mentally. So what advice would you give to them about just really staying sane, really staying confident no matter what, at what level, if they're in high school, middle school, whatever, and they're not getting playing time, what advice would you give them um, you know, that they can really relate to and kind of a uh, reflection of how you got through your situation? So, um, I think the best advice I can say, I heard this from Gilbert and Ray, she said, a coach can never really give you confidence, but they can always take it away. Mm. So once the coach takes your confidence away, you're, you're done. So my whole thing is just always I have so much confidence in yourself that people hate you. <laughs> like, <laughs> to understand what they, what they think you just so arrogant, but at the end of the day, it's not even about arrogance. It's about staying mentally prepared in order. It basically, you're basically psyching yourself out, right? Yeah. Yeah. I may not be playing, but I'm still better than dude who's playing. You, you got to, like, when it's just like that, you have to have that mentality in order to stay who you are because, like Gerber said, coaches will take their confidence away from you you won't be the same. like some players get their confidence taken away and they don't ever become the same player they were so my whole thing is man just do things that go back like that help you reflect on your uh your accomplishments like i got a trophy case down here of all my accomplishments i come down here and just sign me look at it you know what i'm saying just to see how much i've accomplished in my life and know that I'm not no average player or that I'm not less of what a coach that might think I am. Right. So always just try to just always think positive in, in negative situations, man. It's always something you can learn from anything. Um, for real, because it's like at the end of the day, you have to stay who you are. Don't let uh, one coach say you're this type of player. It's always it's a million coaches. It's a million it's 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 colleges, high schools all around where you live at. So don't ever let one instance deter your whole view of of how you feel about the game. So my whole thing is just always stay positive, be confident in anything you do, and just and just work, man. Honestly, no matter the division or the level you play at, man. Players, you you can get seen anywhere. If you play, you work hard, you put in the work, somebody will find you, and I really, I truly believe that. Okay, well they gonna find you at North Park. Man, for sure, man. We gonna, gonna be a part. Of, <laughs> we gonna we gonna work the North Side up this year, man. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> we gonna work the North Side up, man. Period. So tune into. First of all, go. Thank you, Jalen, for coming on. Really, really appreciate it sharing your story with others because I know there are a lot of people who may be listening who are previous athletes or athletes currently 
who can totally relate to what you're saying. And I hope that if you're listening, you really, really, truly um, using this podcast as a sponge and really soaking up all of the information and advice from somebody who probably is in the same situation as you or is in a situation that you could be in eventually. Um, go read Andre Iguodala's The Six Man Book. Book is fire, okay? It's so good. It's going to give you a different outlook on a game of basketball, and it's really going to, I think, develop, help you develop respect for him. Um, seriously. For sure. I also recommend Relentless, Tim Grover, Michael Jordan's training book. It definitely touches on mental toughness and just being, like I spoke about, just being confident always. You know, he, uh, he brings up a lot of instances where he trained Michael and how Michael just had this top-notch confidence that he was he could kill anybody. So I think that book definitely helps with um, it definitely helps when when it comes to being a young athlete and wanting to get that mentality because because a lot of people don't have it. Um, it's hard. Yes, I think it's something you really have to be born with, but you can also learn it. So that book, Relentless Tim Grover, it definitely helps. Yeah, I just read that too. It's fire, y'all. Like even if you're doing business, whatever, I think it totally applies, and you can really um use that. So thank y'all. Thank Jalen for tuning in on my episode. Thank y'all for listening to this episode. Um, go support. Go follow the podcast Instagram at you're wrong, sir underscore. Go like, go rate. Um, give me some voice messages through Anchor also about what you guys like, what you don't like, if you want to be featured on here. Um, so I really, really appreciate the support. This will be what my sixth episode that I'm putting out. So I'm super excited. I'm glad that you all um, really took well to the initial episodes that I put out and we're going to catch y'all on the next episode. We out. <laughs>